0: Kia ora and welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. It's World Cup time. We've been waiting for so long for this. I I feel like the excitement is palpable in the studio that we're only seven days away from seeing the All Blacks play France. (laughs) It's gonna be an absolute cracker. So with that being said, there is a lot of games and there's two months worth of tournament to do a bit of a preview show for. And we've got a special guest to join us on top of the regular guys. So I'll introduce him in just a second, but let's start off. James Parsons. How are?
1: Very good. You I'm just. I'm excited. You are excited. I'm oh, very excited. It's it's come around quicker than I expected. You know, yeah. I think that South African test, um, you know, was was well placed because it just it, it whet the appetite. Yeah. Certainly uh, fired up a few uh, comments on online as That's well. That's right. And
0: I'm sure fired up the All Blacks slightly before this <laughs> yeah. opening encounter. Well, I there's hope so. A few improvements <laughs> needed there. And of course, Bryn Hall over in Japan, who is going to suffer through some early mornings. Uh, doesn't have the wonderful time zone that we've got as we go into this World Cup. So, hope you're not going to turn your bags under those uh, those eyes of yours, Bryn, by the end.
2: Oh, it doesn't matter, mate. As long as um, it's got a New Zealand victory, uh, it does not matter. Nothing a cup of coffee can't, uh, can't fix. So,
0: Now, long-term fans of the show will recognise this guy that we're introducing up next. His name is Ben Darwin. He's a former Wallabies prop, and he runs a company called Gainline Analytics. They work with some of the biggest teams in the world about what you're supposed to do to be successful in rugby, and we've come to him for a really strong opinion on what's important in this World Cup, team makeup, and how things will work out in the end. So, introducing Ben Darwin. Thank you very much for coming on the show again, Ben. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, before we get going, can you tell us what Gainline Analytics is all about? Give us a refresher on what you guys are about and why those
3: things are important come Rugby World Cup time. So this is like three hours into two minutes. Yeah. Okay. So the easiest way to describe it is, we believe there's a, a, a misunderstanding about how teams work, that the driver of success is not actually the individual skill of the team, but more around the collective understanding. So whether that be interpersonal understanding, System understanding, role understanding. And I'll give a couple of examples. Um, interpersonal understanding, for example, the 87 All Blacks, so many of them have been playing at Auckland together, that built understanding with one another about how to play, or the Queensland Reds formed a role at the 99 World Cup. Um, if we talk about system understanding, it might be you bring in your coach, and he might bring in a, a way of descending or a way of playing and that runs against the natural inclinations of the players or what they've learned from somebody else. So changing coach, for example, if I give the NRL, the more experienced a coach is, the more actually teams will underperform comparatively to how they've done before. A good example might've been when Gatland came back to the Chiefs, you know, he probably wanted to change a few things and the Chiefs probably underperformed during that period of time because they weren't used to how he wanted to run things. And the next might be positional understanding. So when Ireland played New Zealand in Chicago. Kano wasn't playing six, he was playing five, which he wasn't used to. He wasn't used to binding, you know, with that shoulder, wasn't used to being in that position. And so he, because of I think two Tukulotus need to have a baby, you know, basically had to have had to play out of position. So that gave a severe um uh disadvantage to the all blacks in that particular um uh scenario. This is the
0: cohesion analytics methodology. That's what you just explained to us? Yeah,
3: amongst, amongst quite a few other uh, forms of systems, but fundamentally we're not looking at the skill, we're looking at the level of understanding.
0: It doesn't really matter who's in your squad, it's about how your squad understands what you're trying to
3: achieve. What we're saying is that the, the individual skill factor might make two or three percent difference. We find cohesion can make up to 80 percent differential. So if you look at, for example, the way Chile um, you know, from losing to USA by 70 to four years later, beating them by, by a couple of points, the biggest difference was they were playing together as, as a club. And I think they got like 45 games together over the same period. USA got like five games together. So that made an, an enormous difference. Whereas bringing in somebody less and more skillful might make, you know, a small level of differentiation and fundamentally, if you don't have a cohesive team. If you're on the top two or three in the World Cup, no-one's ever won the World Cup without being in that top two or three.
1: So if we use a current team going into this World Cup, like a Fiji, you've seen, the, I suppose, the growth of the Fiji and and then having, uh, say, a coach that understands those systems going in Glen Jackson with potentially some new way of, of thinking is, is a big reason as to why we're seeing such a, a growth in their game in, in the 15 sides?
3: Particularly the Drua and getting those guys in young, getting them together early. And playing together, um, you know, even sometimes before they go to Europe is such a big advantage and it's about getting rid of the misunderstanding. I mean, you do generally see the minnows will do well in world cups because they get time they don't usually get. So even, even, you know, Georgia or even USA, if they get into the world cup, they'll generally perform better than they would between world cups because they get that three months. Mm. But, uh, as you saw with say Fiji in 07, um, but this this has made a a big another difference again for them, and that's why they sit above Australia because their numbers are better than Australia at the moment. New Zealand in '87 hadn't actually played a lot together as New Zealand, but they played together a ton as Auckland. So that that was sort of the major differential there. Japan has not had the, their numbers are now are dramatically off what they were in the previous two World Cups, and what was the most satisfying for us is when when they actually beat South Africa in 15, the numbers were actually better than South Africa for that particular game. Um, and that was because of fundamentally that, that ability of the power of Eddie, I suppose, to, to say, guys, if we want to be competitive, we have to get this time together, whether it be in training or playing. When you look at
0: the Wallabies, have had 43 debutantes since the last World Cup. England have had about the same number and it's at
3: least 10 more than any other country. Yeah, and I think the difficult thing then is too is you know, as Eddie's talked about, he's trying to do two things. He's trying to change the list and change the tactics. But if the people keep changing, it's hard to change the tactics, right? Like you, the different person you're introducing new tactics to. So that's, that's there's a double challenge that they've had. Um, England being a bigger system inherently is harder. So England and France, if you think about it, England and France, with the number of people they have played the game, should easily be number one and two in the world all the time, if you base it on resources, but they're not. And that's fundamentally because they are so large. They are coming from such a broad base of clubs. Um, that it is it is difficult for them. Now, particularly with England where you have a salary cap is you can't basically put all of them at one club like Saracens or do, or dominate by picking from one particular club because otherwise the the talent is too broadly stretched. So it's just, it nearly works against England. So they're very schizophrenic. And the only way they're able to win, you know, three was basically to keep that national team together for five or six years. France have a little bit of advantage. They've used their under-20s. They've used Toulouse uh to, to their advantage where they're getting some cohesion from at the moment um, but but like I said the, those larger systems are just much much harder to be able to bring together now Australia is different we have different issues about the flows of players about younger players sort of having overseas and then the big question becomes do you bring guys back or do you or do you say you know from overseas or do you say right we're going to go inherently inside Australia and one of the problems has, has been that we've gone from having three of the top five most cohesive clubs in the world to none inside the top 10. And that's basically been over the last 20 years. That's been taken over by the Crusaders and the Leinsters of the world.
1: Based on what you're saying, you know, the, the ability to pick individual players from overseas may not actually benefit the national squad as much as everyone perceives.
3: can in some ways. I think if you look at what Rassi did with 19 is he brought a lot of the Stormers guys back. I think they had 23 Stormers in that squad. The problem is is that it works now, but it's harder tomorrow. Yeah. I think the ghetto work the rule worked in fifteen, but it then made it harder next up because any kid coming through the Australian system then literally has to walk up to that ghetto and training and introduce himself. There's no chance of him having played with that player. So it's like you it's like you're putting the band back together again. You know, you bring everybody in that has played together previously, that can work very, very well but then it's not necessarily very sustainable. I think Wales have found that more than any other country in the world, is that it worked now, but it didn't work tomorrow. Mm, that's interesting.
0: South Africa have had only 16 debutants since the 2019 World Cup. So what they've done is because they're all over the place, they've stuck with the same group of players, which allows that continuity. Part of the problem
3: is is that if you then go and change the coach, which they obviously haven't done, and Rassi's still involved by proxy almost, <laughs> but but when you change a coach the new coach will have a new set of ideas about who is the right guy and who is the person you have the skill and so even if you if you want to try to keep playing the same way just simply changing coach by its nature will change the list and so really he's got a different set of ideas to you know the previous three or four coaches as to who they would have so if you keep doing that if you keep changing the coaches you will naturally turn that list over which then has its own impact again
2: What are the areas right now that you see the the top two teams in the world? Let's put um, New Zealand in and South Africa in the The four top teams. What are they doing in games that are so successful that these these other teams aren't doing?
3: To be honest with you, I have no interest in that. and I know that's like a crazy answer to that question. The real answer is how accurately are they being able to do it? Because all all the other, like Australia, for example, even if they try to copy... What South Africa are doing, or what New Zealand are doing, or what France are doing? They won't be able to do it as accurately. If you look at every World Cup, it's been won by a different country playing in a different way. And so the key to this is not saying we need to look at how they're doing it and whether that works and whether we can break that down. Cohesion is about the accuracy of the technique you choose to use. So, I mean, for the Springboks, their tight five or the tight eight it has more cohesion in it than the entire Australian team at the moment. So they, could, they have an ability to use their forwards, to interchange those forwards, they have power there, and to use that to their advantage. But, but we don't really focus as much on the tactical because, you know, 07, 07 Springboks were kick, you know, uh, contested a lot out. That was their strength. You know, all sorts of different teams had different strengths and weaknesses. It's not so much about the, the tactics, it's fundamentally whether they can do what they want to do accurately, or inaccurately. And that's what Eddie talks about a lot at the moment is he can't get them to sustain what they want to do for long periods of time. Possibly in the
0: situation he's found himself in, that was possibly never, ever possible?
3: The team Australia had at the end of last year was, was, was different. And then the team we have now is different again. And so the cohesion is not moving in a direction that's probably going to be fast enough to get to the point where we're capable to, to win it uh, directly now. What we what Australia would require to probably win this World Cup would be a you know things things to go right for them in terms of against the grain, but also multiple injuries on multiple fronts to multiple teams. If you add Warren Gatlin into that
0: same equation, I find him quite interesting because you're bringing back a guy who knows that system, who knew who knows plenty about Wales and the players there.
3: Yeah, and I, and I think that this is really built upon what's going on with Welsh rugby for the last you know ten ten years, you know. He has not been able to turn it around straight off the bat. But I think one of the things that did happen during that period of time, um, there's a piece on Twitter by um, uh, Hugh something, I apologise, Scott, remember his last name, but he was, he was looking at the the amount of turnover in the centres for Ireland, sort of Wales, sorry, which has just been quite stark, as as it was actually for New Zealand heading into 19. You know, they didn't really get continuity at, at 12, 13, which they're starting to get now and obviously really had through to, through to 15. Um, but but Gatland knowing the players, he'll tend to return to what he likes. Um, but again, the, the the fundamentals of Welsh rugby right now is is it's not built to be sustainably successful.
1: Mm. I'm going to jump on that 12 13 because it's a it's an area of interest, especially from an All Blacks point of view. If you look at Geordie and Rico, how are they placed going into this tournament as a combo? B-
3: better better than. Then certainly New Zealand were headed into 19. It just felt like they could never quite decide what you what you want to do is. I, I won't go into much. I I can't go into the data too specifically. But what you want to do is basically 18 months out for the tournament, decide who you've got, and then and then hold to that group. So basically, everyone who's won a World Cup has been able to do that through different means. But if you're if you're chopping and changing late into those positions, particularly. Uh, the the key positions, um, it's not prop unfortunately. Um, that that can that can absolutely derail you. It's new combinations. I mean, I think in the last World Cup in nineteen, we end up with Jordan Bataya had had never played with his centre partner in a World Cup quarter final. Like the, that was literally their first game together. And so I think Matt Tamua was talking about how during that World Cup they were chopping and changing quite a bit, and they could never get to any form of detail. It's more like. It's almost like a Barbarians game. It's like, let's just do a couple of runs and, you know, see how we go. And I think if you look at England in in the 15 World Cup too, trying to introduce a new player into a new sport, into a new position at the same time, made things pretty difficult for them.
2: The 9 and 10 combination is is massive in terms of rugby. Where do you see the most, the the strongest 9 and 10 of the the competition? You have to think, um, you know, Gibson Park in, and then in the team as well, um, with um, with Sixton would be probably one of the major ones that would be successful.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think what we're actually looking at this a couple of weeks ago, and we're looking at Ireland, and we were we were changing the combinations and seeing what that would do. And only a couple of the combinations for Ireland would go wrong, because you've got guys who are actually you know coming out of land style, because you've got guys who've been at the national team together extensively. Um, I'm going to get my names wrong here, but like if you jump back to Conor Murray, that's not a problem either. You want to get to this position with any country whereby you've got two good choices to make. So, okay, we can either go with Gibson Park at Sexton or we go with the Conor Murray and Sexton. Both of those are fine, right? If you go with the backup 10, because he's also from from Leinster, that's also fine. So it's it means that when things go awry, we actually call this um, uh, 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 white bait the white bait scenario, right? Which is when <laughs> things go horribly wrong, who can come in and jump in? White bait redundancy, sorry, we call it. Who can come in, who can jump in so that it doesn't go so catastrophically wrong? And that's literally what New Zealand got back to, right? Their attack was awful in, in that final. But that was enough. There was enough against France on that day to get it done. And and they had enough cohesion, had enough understanding, and, and Stephen Donald was able to kick goals and was able enough to survive. Some A country like France, once it goes beyond its starting combinations, its redundancy goes out the window. They don't have that as much. Springboks have got it in little bits. So some countries literally have to keep the same 15 going again and again and again in order to get a chance to be cohesive enough to win the tournament. Others can change in and out. And that's where I see probably Ireland as an advantage now that they haven't had previously, which is this over-reliance on sex.
0: Mm. If you applied that to say the All Blacks, where uh, Cam Roigard has suddenly come into the fold, you know you've also got Finley Christie and I suppose Brad Weber outside of the squad. Would that would that affect the way that you would make that selection on the bench? I mean, Roigard obviously brings a lot. We saw against the Springboks attacking wise, but you know when push comes to shove, he's only played a couple of games.
3: Yeah, and and it's and there's experience and there's also shared experience, and I think that's probably the focus we have on. I mean. You, you're a bunch of guys asking a tight end problem about half think they've <laughs> obviously come gone a long way south but no um, I, I just didn't really look at it from a numbers perspective and it's a case of saying okay we want to bring in a new guy how far out from the tournament do we do it if someone is so talented do we hold off on that guy do we go back to what we know what do we think the talent is worth it and if it is worth it how many games can we get into them? I mean uh, Smith is, is for me easily the best nine I think he's much better than DuPont I think he's easily the best nine by quite some distance, it's just a case of how far do they drop off? Why do you say and, that? And if they I just think well, the quality of his well, pass, uh, quality of his pass off the deck is is much better than DuPont. I think the, everything's just so much sharper, so much faster. Um, I think DuPont is, is almost like more of a classic French and almost like a fly half in some of the decisions he makes. But but you know, like again, you're asking a prop, but, but this is my this is not only from a relationship perspective, but just for Aaron Smith, he's, the sharpness of his pass, he's easily the best in the
1: world. If you look at Roygaard, and and would it make sense then to pick him, because he's got his Hurricanes captain at number eight, he's got his Hurricanes midfielder and, and Geordie Barrett, those are quite key influential people with that connection piece, and they're 80-minute they're players, mm. whereas Christie probably doesn't have that
3: connection with, there's no sort of blues players right. in and around that. Yeah. that area yeah 100 percent and you see this I'll, I'll give you an example of this um from state of origin so a couple of years ago you know queensland was easily the most cohesive team in state of origin two teams because they're all the broncos storm cowboys and then they brought in dale Cherry evans who's an amazing player but he came into basically the storm spine mm. and he didn't perform well down here in melbourne and and they lost the game so then said the next game they went back to cameron munster so it was technically his debut munster or Queensland, but because he'd already been part of that Melbourne Storm spine, understood all the plays, he came out on I think they won by thirty and he got mad of the match.
0: So if you look at the squads then, you're obviously talking about Ireland probably being at number one. How would you rank the other the other three out of France, New Zealand, South Africa in, in that kind of way?
3: The numbers are all relatively similar. I think they all have teams that are capable of winning the tournament with their best team on the field. I just think that France are more fragile. Because once they go away from that, once they go away from their starting fifteen, the numbers will drop off quite quickly. I think you saw that when they brought their team down to play Australia in that three-test series, which Australia won. Um, they they really struggled when they jump outside of that. Uh, if you look at the All Blacks and say 06-7, six seven, I'm going to be wrong about this, but I think there was a time when they made fourteen changes after beating Wales by thirty and then they beat Ireland by forty. Um, like this was on a Northern November, November tour. That, that All Blacks is gone. You can't do that anymore. You have to be much more. Um, uh, uh, you have to be much more fickle in how you change the team, because you can't. you don't basically have two starting fifteens that can destroy everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's the nature of, of how much. For example, the Irish have improved, the Scottish have improved. Everyone is more cohesive. Now, it's it's you've got four or five countries in the world. Scotland are now remarkably well built. And are capable of doing something at this tournament. Um, so I would actually add Scotland to that to that five, um, and then there's there's one or two that might have a reasonable team in the bank if everything goes goes accurately for them. But you know, anyone that tells you who's going to win the tournament is guessing and hoping. We don't know until we see who's going to play on the field, what jersey they're going to play in, you know, um, who they're up against, what what the numbers that team. And then we gotta kind of go, okay, well we can see where this is more likely to go.
0: So then if you look at the All Blacks, for instance, and the way that they've built their team, I suppose looking back to 2019, where we saw this Mwanga, um, Barrett, 10-15 combination, do you feel like they're in a position now where they've, they've had the consistency and they've got those, those appropriate guys to, to base
3: their game around that and be successful? So the number one answer to that question is always going to come down to what does everybody else have? All Blacks are in a better position than they have been since '15, but there are other countries like Ireland that are in a fundamentally much better position themselves. So New Zealand rugby, its its nature right now is it's got a good team to take to the World Cup, but it's it's a, the, it's a little bit of that fragility, um, and and once you jump outside of that, there's there's some issues, um, but. It just, it just appeared leading into 19. They didn't know who their best pairing was. And there's a, there's a turn of phrase I like to use is you don't actually build, you don't find combinations, you build combinations. So you decide this is going to be it and we are going to stick with it, even if it's not working now, because the option to that is just keep on chopping and changing all the way through, which is where Australia found itself into 19. And that can be absolutely disastrous. So Eddie has to go. I think oh, sorry.
1: Yes, but, go on. No, I just think if you look at that 23 should we be seeing a pretty close 23 that we saw play France because they, they created enough opportunity they didn't finish it but keeping that squad together and healthy is probably the only way they they progress
3: well if they haven't decided now we are in deep <laughs> it's, you know, we, my, my preference is always we decided by last November yeah. my apologies uh, it's not last November, it's this November and, and the time is now. So I don't think they're going to make a lot of changes. The interesting comments actually coming out of uh, uh, Tanyal Tupo is that they're actually holding back tactically on what they're going to do. But uh, my experience of Eddie is even if he's not holding off on something, he'll pretend he's holding off on something yeah, yeah. just to keep people guessing.
2: Would you recommend then that playing the starting 15 or the 23 more consistently throughout that that pool stages and then playing more minutes to, to build that cohesiveness? Because at the moment... You know there's not a lot of confidence within their group,
3: yeah. And I think if you look at the 07 England team, they, they did that quite well. They they what we call back ended through the tournament. I think if you look at France in 11, um, they did that a little bit. Um, you know, England and uh, England and France generally have a reputation of performing quite well at World Cups. Um, so if you think about England losing by 36, I think, to South Africa in the rounds, and then you know, was it 15, 11 in the final, whatever it was, so. They 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 improved as the tournament went. But that's the only really shot at it because if they go to the other option of picking, resting, changing, it's it's too late for that. So it's like you've got to take this risk in order to build a team well enough through the tournament. Um, and that's actually helped now by the nature of the tournament is you don't have the midweek games. you basically got four games in four weeks. And and basically, Eddie's commented to that, you know, we got to be good enough to beat Georgia, then we've got to be good enough to beat the next team, the next team, the next team. So he's hoping to build through the tournament, it's it's risky,
0: it's risky. So if you look, say, at Pool D, where England, Japan, Argentina, Samoa, all appear to have some sort of opportunity to get through that pool, um, does it favor them in some ways that they will have four weeks, possibly to play their top team every week? Whereas, let's say the All Blacks have got France first up and then, you know, without being disrespectful, not much after that.
3: Yeah, 100%. But I, I mean, this, this component, if you're looking to build cohesion through a World Cup, there is a challenge for you. you are, you're, you're at the wrong end of the equation where well, you want to be so well built, you could deal with all of that. So Ireland wouldn't care about any of those questions because mm. they don't need to. It's, you're 100% right. It's like, particularly for, for like Samoa who have not had that time together, they absolutely have to use this to advantage and take any form of advantage you get but you, this is not where you want to be Is to having this discussion and hoping that you could build through the tournament because that isn't always going to be the case the injuries you might get um, and, I, and, I, and I think interestingly when you look at say 15 with Japan is they picked a team to, to win that first game against South Africa and then they, they made changes to play Scotland and the strength of the team in our numbers was quite a huge drop off it's like they just didn't think beyond the first test almost. I'm not saying Eddie doesn't think beyond the first test of course not but but it's it's really really important that you 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 can be able to pick your best team at any one point to win a game. You have to win. And then Ireland, for instance, will finish their pool play against
0: South Africa and Scotland. So they're getting into a point where they're playing two super crucial games leading into the quarterfinal.
3: Yeah, 100. The the thing that can derail Ireland at this point is too many injuries. If they get they can deal with a couple. They'll deal with Cian Ely, no problems. But it's just when they get beyond that, that then starts to be the biggest concern. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I, you know, again, without seeing any teams, my feeling is Ireland are the best, in the best position to win this tournament for a number of reasons. But um, it is extremely difficult to go back to back to back continuously and have good performances. Um, but also too is you, you have a team that plays in week one, you make 10 changes uh, to that team, so some of them are playing and some of them are not, that'll remove your ability to train together because so you've got five guys still going. It's very difficult to, get, to split a World Cup squad into A and to B. So even if you are playing games and you do make 10 changes to your team, you can't really rest guys as much. So my philosophy would generally be hold to the same group, make one or two changes if need be, or for tactical reasons, but otherwise stick with it. I think New
1: Zealand's got to do that a little bit too, don't you? Like they may be minnow sides... I think building that confidence and that stretch, we just saw even, I know, take the South of game away, out of the picture, but as they built and kept that consistent sort of 23, they just looked better and more confident mm. in their approach to tests.
3: No, no, 100%, I, I completely agree with it. And, and sometimes you'll build bad habits by making changes into teams and you've got to recover from that. I think it's just best to, to stick to that group
1: look at the last mm-hmm. test against the Wallabies, the amount of changes and just the the accuracy that mm. just was left, especially early on in the game. Yeah, they came back and chased it, but that's when they brought the sort of, you know, the Aaron Smith, Richie Moonga combo on and they sort of chipped away and, and, and won the test. But you, you almost have to think for, for us in particular, that spine playing, jeez, I hate to say it, every game almost, mm. and maybe getting them off at 40 minutes or whatever. Um, Just, you know, so it's really clear um, in, in the approach through that pool play and building towards that quarter.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
3: That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but
0: might be open to the perfect role.
3: It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I just want to go back first of all to the last All Black Test against Australia because what the numbers were telling us is that the team that started that game, I think five or six catastrophic gaps in its back line. Um, in terms of the way it was constructed. So that for us was a really big sign that um, they weren't going to get a lot of efficiency out of their attack, particularly um, at, at the start of that game.
0: It's interesting you talk about that 40 minutes because I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, Ben. The way that the Springboks approach their changes um, after half time, where they their pack almost completely changes you know, at 40, 45-minute mark, whereas let's say New Zealand tends to eke out its substitutions over a period of time. What would it be a bigger indicator for success, I suppose, when you look at it like that, where South Africa go, okay, here's a new Ford pack, and New Zealand go, well, here's a guy and then here's a guy and here's a guy.
3: I think the answer to your question, I'm a i I'm really sorry to say, it's just a lot more nuanced mm. than that. It's it's about the resources you have, how you use those guys. But one of the things we've done, we have a um, we have a client in the UK um, that's been very, very successful, won a lot of titles. And so for us, it was about saying, okay, how are you going to deal with injuries in a final? Because we think that's the only thing that's going to derail you. And so it became about saying, right, because if you make changes on mass of your reserves on, that's not how it might work out in the final. You might have it in a final. You might have your 12 go down after 10 minutes. And so what we actually built out was more about this system of, okay, let's lose one guy who comes in. Let's build the combinations then of this player with the starting team because that's where things can go really, really horribly wrong. And so it's also about building for the, the, when things go pear-shaped and this particular side, it played in his final, that exact thing happened and they got through it as they had three injuries in a final early or lost guys earlier before the game started, where they're able to work through that pain and still be able to perform to their best. So the first question I'll be asking with the All Blacks is what happens if your thirteen goes down after three minutes, how are you built for that scenario, and how is your bench built for that scenario, um, and then let's work out the rest from there.
2: It's actually funny enough that you do say that, Ben, because actually, um, and this happens in a lot of teams around the what if moments and being able to do that under pressure in scenario based forms. So when then when you do get into a final, um, you've kind of trained that throughout the whole year. And like when you've got a good team and you've been collectively together, you've had those conversations for three four years, been able to have. Those experiences, conversations, and doing it on the field—it makes a massive impact. I think one of the years at the Crusaders, I think we've had the Chiefs. I think we had a, two red cards. um We were down to a yellow card, but because we are trained the situations of pivotal people being out, it actually wasn't unforeign and we weren't um in the red to say. And then we we're able to execute, and I mean, I won a championship against the Chiefs. I remember that. Remember that final, definitely.
3: And, and that type of scenario really comes down to time. If you, if you think about it, you're taking the barbarians, right? And, and you're throwing a bunch of guys together. You'll never get through more than basic patterns. You'll never say, okay, how are we going to do a drop ball on this game? You never get to that. Right. And some clubs are like that. Some clubs, you know, are just never get to that point of detail over time because they're just dealing with the change and adjustments in coach and scenario and tactics at all times. And so that time together, you just get to that level of detail. And So a lot of clubs around the world, people go visit the Crusaders or visit Leinster and go, oh, I can see what they're doing here. They can do this, 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 and this, but they do that because they're capable of doing it because they've had that time to be able to create that system. So you don't copy the how they do it, you copy the way in which they're constructed that allows them to make those decisions. So when they're making those decisions about selections, et cetera,
0: with your company, is that a week-by-week approach that you're involved
3: so with some clubs, we're literally at the selection table with them and going over it on a on a week by week basis. With other clubs, we're saying, or well, countries, for example, we might say, here is how we can build a system that could make you more sustainably successful over time. It comes down to who you're talking to. I mean, the the board is is oftentimes just as responsible in their ability to create success. Because the board says, right, you know, we're not getting the success one, well, it's time to sack coach, the new guy will come in. He'll make a whole raft of changes to what he wants and the team will underperform again and then they panic again so it's actually we always begin with governance we get permission to do things properly and then we bring it down to you know being at the selection table but other clubs coaches may not be interested in it, it may simply be we are working with the governance at the end but it really is important that up and down the whole organization they understand um these components we've had other teams we had a team in the uk basically said we have 10 weeks to survive being relegated, and so the focus was, okay, let's work on the first seven weeks to build a team good enough to win two out of the last three, which they are able to do. And do you
0: find, in the most part, people are quite receptive? Because it's quite a new age idea in comparison to the old school kind of, you know, coach selects its team based on what he sees on the field kind of scenario.
3: We've we've talked to guys like Bellamy, Arsene Wenger, um, uh, uh, Wayne Bennett, and the old guys get it straight away because they'll say, you know i know i'm not the only reason for success oh my daughter's just stormed into the room um i know i'm not the only reason for success but i hope hello my love um <laughs> sorry guys I, I, hope, I hope that i can um you know be able to replicate it on a continuous basis You're right um but what i would say is we've certainly had scenarios where we've upset people we've sat down with a coach and said to be honest with you you probably should have won more games and if their narrative is about them being a successful coach, they struggle with that.
2: What do those meetings look like? What are you telling them mostly?
3: Um, so we we basically help them to understand what cohesion is and we'll generally reflect on them. We'll go back. I mean, I had a great meeting with Sean Fitzpatrick, for example. He wasn't about his coaching, it's just about his career. And he said, this makes so much more sense for me in terms of my experiences with the All Blacks, about where they were in the 80s and then... And then how we built towards winning the world cup and about my time in Auckland. And so that theme was quite sort of revelatory in terms of saying, okay, now that makes sense to me. Um, same thing actually with Craig Bellamy. Yeah. He is the worst record in history of origin for coaching New South Wales. Um, and a lot of that was not about him being a bad coach, but just how it was constructed. So once, once we help them to understand that they tend to be quite reflective upon their own careers and they either respond in a positive way or a negative way and then you say, okay, well, here's where your team is at now. If you're not winning games, it's probably for a reason. How do we then help you to be successful? Fair
0: enough. Now, before we close out this chat, should we have a quick look at what's going on this oh, weekend? Yeah. And maybe a, a look towards, I suppose, the end of pool play and towards the final. Looking at the France-New Zealand game, how do you see that one playing out?
1: I think New Zealand. I think there's been quite a, a few late changes. Um, I, I do think DuPont and Hallibut have got a good enough combo. like because Intermark and Halibet were sort of fighting for that 10 spot, you know, a year, probably 18 months ago, and then they went with Intermark. Obviously, I think the Toulouse connection is a big thing. Um, But Dante being out, uh, you know, like, these are all sort of key positions and guys that have sort of, um, you know, sort of led the way for them. Mm. Um, So, and I've probably gone and got, and I don't want to say this really, because I'll get slated by the French fans, but probably got more confidence after hearing... (laughs) <laughs> been uh, around, like, probably they're not as, their depth isn't as strong as, as we probably perceive. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the All Blacks will do it. It'll be close, though, because we, we don't have, we're not injury free either. We've, we've got a few, um, you know, situations where if we lose guys early in that game, the 23 may not have the same sort of mm. um, flow as we expect. But yeah, so I think the All Blacks will do it.
2: I'm going to go with the All Blacks, obviously. Um, But I just think if you're going back to the Cajun side, I think losing uh, Dante for that French side. Um, he's been massive in around that midfield. I think him and Fiku and his combination that they've had, especially around the breakdown area, um, you know, you know, watching a lot of rugby, and any time that Dante or Fiku in and around that breakdown, which is such a massive part um, of the game, I think, at this stage, um, is a big loss. And Intermac as well, any time you're losing a 10 with his calibre and the, the combination that he's had with DuPont, even though they are based a lot off nine and DuPont does run the show, I think it's still um, a missing cog. And then also as well, I think, but the breakdown area is going to be massive for the All Blacks. I think having Scott Barrett, um, whether he plays at six, I'm not too sure. I know I'm not too sure with how Frizzell's going. And um, obviously with Brodie Rutalic injured, I think he might not be playing. So, you know, having Scott Barrett, I think he'll be massive for for the All Blacks. Um, and then I think uh, as well, I think the areas of improvements that we've made, especially in our kicking games with Geordie Barrett being at 12 and having Richie Moanga and Bowdoin Barrett, um, having those three kicking attacking options um, is going to be massive. And I think we'll see a little bit more of that um, come the weekend against the French, knowing, you know, with the defensive pressure that they do put on, especially with France, I think that attacking game area will be massive for the All Blacks. And I think they'll get it right on the weekend.
3: Uh so the first question I was asked is jerseys. Um yeah, people <laughs> laugh at me about it often. So who's in which jersey? The All Blacks wearing black. Okay. So the reason of this and and I probably talked to you about the, about this before guys was um we found there were some teams dramatically underperforming and they, were, and they seemed to do it when they were wearing a jersey they had not won before or won for recently. And, we've, and so I asked a bunch of guys, uh, Sterling Willock and um, Danny Bedara, Smokey Lee, what happens? And they said, you, took, you change color of your jersey and you go to do an offload and you flinch because you're looking for a color. Mm-hmm. And so we found the offload pass accuracy dropped up quite a bit um, with a change of jersey. And if you look at France, sorry, Ireland last weekend and, and England against Fiji. They were quite awe in their attack and in their, and their uh, accuracy. Uh, France 7 Do I say sorry? All Blacks 7 against France. Um, so, and I think I think uh, France have only really beaten the All Blacks since 2000 once, when they when All Blacks were in a uh, black jersey. So, I'd, I'd go towards the All Blacks simply if that's only dropping them off by 20%. We found the teams drop off by 40% in attack with the change of jersey.
0: Darren Shan, the All Blacks manager, has won every single coin toss for this world cup so the all blacks will be in black the entire tournament
3: up to the end of pool play it's kind of helpful i didn't i didn't know it came down to a coin toss or darren Chant holding seven coins under his pocket who doesn't <laughs> find that the other the other thing um though as we do find that they did a study in the epl they found that for every ten thousand people in the crowd that the referee was was like one or two more penalties in bias towards the home team so if france are going to be able to pull it off, the, the impact on the referees will be big and then that sometimes can lead to those card decisions that can, um, that can create, create problems for people. The other game from the weekend that's a really big
0: one is the Fiji versus Wales game. Um, obviously, that could change the face of this pool and given the form that Fiji had against England, there's a lot of people talking up their chances of not just making the quarters, but possibly making it the whole way into the semi-finals. Ben, should we start with you? How do you see this game playing
3: out? Um, again, we, I don't have a starting team. But Wales have Wales have a better team in the bank than Fiji. Fiji have sort of taken on this thing with the withdraw with some recency and it's definitely improved them. But I would say across the park, there'll be more caps in the Fiji and team the the Welsh team. Um but the Welsh team have not had a lot of continuity of who they've been picking for quite a long period of time. But I would probably say Wales in a close one.
2: I just like what I've seen with Fiji. I think, again, the World Cup stage is something different in, in terms of like the pressure and I guess all the angst in the build-up, but you do get as a player, it's very normal to feel those things, especially the difference of playing um, just a normal Test matchup with then have it having all you know the marbles on the line. But I just have really enjoyed with what Fiji have done the last you know six or seven test matches. I think Frank Lamani has been massive in and around their game management, along with months and their ability to be able to kick with the ball um, when they're not when they're not supposed to in those no man zones. I think they've been a lot better in that space, and that's obviously with the Fijian. Through you talked about Jackson Jippa, Jippa and his influence around what they've done in and around that 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 space. Um, but then I think also man just their physicality around the breakdown. They are just very, very efficient, um, and they're a lot more fitter now. Again, that, I'm not going to be too sure how that's going to um, go on the weekend, but from what I've seen, the growth in those areas, I think, along with the set piece battle, which is always a battle, I think, um, when it comes to Fiji in high pressure situations. But I think I've seen enough in the last five, six test matches um, to be able to have a shot, and I think beating Wales um, in the first in the first round.
1: I think Fiji will win if they don't get bored of their game management. So I, I've laboured the point with Drewer and, and I've laboured it again with Fiji. Every time, I think it was, they had two rucks in their 22 and about seven uh, um, other ones. So 10 rucks in total in their own half. Like they just did not play rugby. They did not chance their arm when they beat England. Drew were the same when they beat the Crusaders. They didn't play in their area. So if if Lamani and, and Munts can get that game management and not get bored of it and, you know, just keep, Persisting of wanting to play that territory-based game, and then when they get in their half, play with instinct, play their natural game. But if they start trying to chance their arm from deep, I would, I'll be concerned. But I think if they can, if they can do that, they'll beat them. The only way I see um, Wales um, having a chance is probably Gatlin's strength is his rush D, which is which is hard. But you know, they, they, a lot of these players he has brought back, and they've played a lot together. But if they get it right and pressure the Fijian skill set and not allow them to win those collisions, like how you get a good offload is you actually it's the ball carrier first winning the collision, getting through it, and then finding. If they can shut down that time and space and not allow that momentum of the Fijian carriers, um, that'll give them a, that'll give them a shot. And when Gatlin had them humming, that was their big strength.
0: Yeah. Yeah right okay well those are the two big games from the weekend let's have a bit of a broader look let's go quickly through the four pools let's start with pool a who are the two i mean do we even have to talk about this the two teams that you got out of pool eh? is there uh, a is Zealand and France. yeah consensus on this in what order
1: well i've just picked new zealand to win so new zealand france new zealand first france second new zealand france from brim oh, i've got
2: to go for new zealand
1: don't i <laughs> yeah and from you ben
0: yeah yeah new zealand france okay pool b South Africa, Ireland, Scotland. I think we've already got everyone's take on this earlier in the show, but
1: the order um, of the two. I well, I'm questioning it now after listening to Ben, but <laughs> I'm going to go with what my gut was, and um, I've gone South Africa to win it, yeah, and and Ireland to come second.
2: Right, I'm going to Ireland. Ireland to win it and South Africa to go second. Uh, but man, Scotland, geez, I know they're in they're in a tough draw, but man. I really enjoy the way they play. And especially in a lot of games I've watched them this year, their first half, especially in the, the lightning quick ball that they've had in some of those test matches, uh, if they can just get it right and situationally um, get the points when they need to, when they have those opportunities, would not be surprised if they slipped into second and beat one of these these teams of
3: South Africa and Ireland. Yeah, I actually think it's going to be Ireland Scotland. Wow. I think that it it could end up being um, you know teams having two you know one win against each, so coming down the points differential. I just think Ireland have the accuracy right now to beat the Springboks, and I think that the Scotland actually defend really, really well. And if things go awry, and um, the, the South Africa they could get it done. I I see Ireland beating Scotland, um, but I just I'm just not sure about South Africa. I think they're going in way too confident. I think things haven't gone wrong for them yet. If they do go wrong, it will go really wrong. I think Scotland can get over the Great
2: for
1: the comment section. Oh, Oh,
3: that is going to be glorious.
1: Great for the comment (laughs) section. You've just taken the heat off me for a week. Thank you very much. (laughs) Just remember that I picked South Africa to win that. (laughs) Win that poll.
0: All right, the South Uh, African fans in our comment section are always quite strong in their opinions, uh, Ben. So, yeah, we certainly copped it after the All Blacks lost to South Africa. And... uh, the opinions about why that happened
1: <laughs> beautiful
0: <laughs> moving on to pool c uh wales australia fiji georgia and portugal and that pool where do you see that going ben
3: i still see uh australia then wales i think fiji are going to go really really close um i think they might get up over one of them but i think that if you then have to go to the other games australia and wales will tend to dominate them a lot more and so it might have to come down to and against I don't think Wales, I don't think France have a good B team. Sorry, I don't think Fiji has a good B team. And so they may struggle in those actual um, those secondary games. So I'm saying Australia, Australia then Wales. With uh, my Australian uh, Wallaby jersey behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, Bryn.
2: I'm going to go Australia, but I'm, I'm going to go Fiji to finish second.
3: I think
1: Aussie will win it as well. Um, I don't know why, I just, I just think um, I, I, I saw enough in that French game. Mm. To, to see the options created, they'll learn a lot from that, um, and I think Fiji.
0: Fiji as well. Yep. There's a lot of chat about Fiji all the way through to the semi-finals. It's been, the, I suppose, a talking point on everyone's lips over the last week or so. Let's look at Pool D, arguably the most interesting pool, given you know, who really knows what's going on with a couple of these teams. Uh, England, Japan,
1: Argentina, Samoa and Chile. What are you picking? I've got Argentina to win it, Samoa to come second. Right out, yeah. I just think there's a lot of international experience in that Samoan side, and they've actually played a lot together, I suppose, through you know, when they're coming through at a younger age. Mm. Um, you know, they've got some really good coaching, but I really think Tom Coventry um, is outstanding, and Tānaumanga and Mapasua and, and as well. Um, so I think they're they're tactical now, and we saw, you know, I think. Lima executed it pretty well against Ireland, you know they had opportunities to win that game, probably should have. Um, so yeah I just think looking at the other team's form coming in, um, I, I think I think Samoa will be the side that grows the most by having the time together. You bring
0: up an interesting point Ben, um, consistency with coaching, let's say Tana Umaga and Tom Coventry worked together at the Blues, or worked together at the Blues. How important, in comparison, to say a lot of you know, blues
1: players in the summer? Yeah, side as well.
0: yeah, yeah. And and you look around, and we talk about the consistency of players coming from Toulouse, or you know, the '87 All Blacks being from Auckland. What about that coaching piece?
3: What you don't want to have is you don't want to have overlap, overlap of ideas and overlap of philosophy. So generally, your coaches you coach together, and you get a sense of okay, here is my domain, and here's where it stops, and here's where the next guy works, and here's where he stops. So the um, and what you don't want to have is mixed messages. Uh, towards a group because that can really bring huge amounts of ambiguity. So I think, yeah, um, that can be massive. The way we fundamentally look at coaches is we look at the systems of information. And So if a coach comes in and he wants to change how something is done, it's the unlearning that's the really hard part because under pressure, they'll tend to revert. Um, one thing we found interestingly was that after 30 minutes, England probably give away more points than any team in the world in the top 10 because I think they revert back to what's happening for their club. And so they kind of just tend to fall apart later on in games. Um, so, yeah, so I, I definitely think it, it, it... Actually, interestingly, the way I describe it is sometimes a paper bag is more effective than a coach because at least a paper bag is consistent. So sometimes in a World Cup, it's better to have nothing than it is to have something that's going to influence the team. <laughs> that's amazing. So with that said, uh, do you think England can get through Pool D? If you take their form, even though no matter, bad, no matter how bad it's being. If you take that jersey argument into that Fiji game, they, of course, were you know, pretty awful. But they should improve through the tournament. So I think as much as it pains me to say it, I think England will probably uh, get into the top two of that pool. And and Argentina is a really interesting one because they've basically got this this Haguaris group that was part of them and is part of some of them, but not all of them. So when that group tends to play, they do really, really well together. What they're having difficulty with now is transitioning the new players in. I think that really peaked literally the year they got rid of them, and they beat the All Blacks in um, in Parramatta. But now that's starting to sort of fade away out of their system. So they are very, very capable of, on their day, putting together a really good performance. But very difficult for them to do it consistently one of them. So i really going go with England to top the four and then Argentina.
2: Yep, I'm going to go Argentina and England. Um, haven't really got an idea around who would finish first or second of those two. Um, but yeah, I just think England will find a way. Um, everything's telling them that they shouldn't be there. But um, World Cup experience, a lot of guys have played in big, big, big moments of big test matches. Um, so for that, I'm just thinking England and then Argentina as well. I think Samoa will go close. But I think just with what Argentina have done, the longevity that they've played together, the consistency of performances that they play in the rugby championship, um, it all comes together and I think um, it gets, gets the job done and with Samoa just missing out. I think they'll get a scalp of either England or Argentina, maybe one of those two teams, uh, but I just think Argentina will, um, will pip through and England as well.
0: Japan, who wins the whole thing?
1: I've got France, New Zealand in the final, New Zealand to win. I do want to say in the semis, I've got France to play Samoa, New Zealand to play RG.
0: You're basing that on Samoa beating... Beating Aussie. Beating Aussie. Yep. Solid. It's happened before. Yep. I enjoyed
1: this little process. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Brendan, what about you?
2: Funnily enough, I actually went the same. I went with New Zealand um, playing France in the final. And of of course, I'm going for New Zealand.
1: Oh, that's not what you said. That's not what you said.
2: It'll be... It'll be hostile. It's <laughs> not what he said, if There's been a the switch up. Oh. If we get to the stage, if we get to the stage where both of us are in the final, yeah, I just think I think we pull through.
0: Okay. What's happened in the last hour that's changed your mind? Ben.
2: Ben. <laughs> ben change me, made the cohesion. They're telling me that parts are no good. <laughs> they're there for they're there for the taking.
0: It doesn't take much because this is unprecedented. He was going to do an unprecedented thing and pick against the All Blacks. All through last year, Ben, even when the All Blacks were awful, oh. it didn't matter, he was still picking them, which worked out at Ellis Park,
3: but all, all the same. Good to hear. What about you, Ben? I don't understand why people are not picking Cup. they're the best team in the world. They, they, they've been the most accurate. Um, they've been the most consistent. I think people are going with what's happened before with them. And, you know, Ireland's been growing now basically in their performance in the past 25 years, but if you look at it, that they are a reasonably cohesive team, it means between the world cups, they're at their peak and it looks like they sort of fall away, but it was also to do with other companies, other countries peaking. But I just think the way they're built at the moment, if things go right for them uh, and right for everybody else, they'll win it. I think things have to go badly wrong for them and right for other people. So I think it'd be Ireland over, over New Zealand.
0: It will be a very good night in Dublin. I'll tell you that. I was there when they beat the All Blacks in uh, in the USA and then I was there when they beat the All Blacks in Dublin for the first time and both nights out with the camera at two in the morning getting interviews with Irish fans was a process. It was entertaining. (laughs) It was entertaining. Probably needed a lot of editing. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay one last one to go with player of the tournament Jeff. who do you see?
1: Richie Moanga for me. Yeah. I reckon he's been given the keys it's his team and history shows when that guy is given the responsibility of taking charge. He's been very successful everywhere he's gone. So if I'm going to pick New Zealand to win it, yeah. he's going to have to play a hell of a tournament. Makes sense.
2: If we're going to keep with the All Blacks, um, obviously because I've picked them. Yeah, OK. I've, I've picked, picked them. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, so have but, uh, your picks this Barrett.
1: changed?
0: So what was your pick and, before the show started?
2: Clearly, um, I had Scott Barrett, Barrett um, be massive for the All Blacks, but then I think also I've also got uh, Jameson Gibson-Park I think Jameson Gibson-Park is, um, is been one other guy that I think um, will have a massive part to, to play. If Ireland end up do winning, I think with Sexton's, Sexton's been a big part of this Irish team. But I think Jamison Gibson-Park's been the, the focal point of the reason why um, that Irish team's been so good. So those would be the two players.
0: Right, yeah. Ben, yours, please.
3: <laughs> so I'm going to give you two answers. One, I think Aaron Smith will be voted as the best player in the world. But I think the best player in the tournament is Tyson. But they we never get voted player of the <laughs> match for anything, so so tight heads never get recognised. But that they, 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 so long is easily the best player in the world. If he goes down, have Ireland got a capable replacement? They do, they do. I think Porter can play both sides. Um, but but the the Healy Healy problem is what do they have next to lose Yeah, he he can he's definitely an issue. It's interesting actually. I was thinking about this the other day. What would probably be the hardest position in the world to make the starting team? And you'd actually probably say georgian tight head like harder than number 10 for the all blacks because like what is it like 30 tight heads playing for, <laughs> there's more tight heads that can play for georgia than any other position in the world <laughs> so, um, no i i think um i i think i think smith like i said earlier he's passing easily the best for any night in the world and, that, and i think they're, they're depending on him so desperately their attack is just entirely different
0: well, hopefully we get to the end of the year, you know, and everyone's open-minded enough to give a tight head prop.
1: Oh, the year.
0: Well, Brody Retallick's the only tight forward to win it, right? Yeah. What was that? 2014? It was a few years ago. So maybe we should start a campaign.
1: Well... I'll tell you what, this man speaks a lot of sense, even though he's picking Ireland to win it. Um, (laughs) He's got to back back a player to lead the charge. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay.
0: well, Ben, thank you very much for all of your insights once again. Really appreciate it. Really cool educational experience on how your business works, how you think, and what might just happen in this World Cup. Thanks
2: very much, guys. Really enjoyed it.
0: Cheers, mate. Okay. thanks again to Bryn all the way from Japan. Look forward to the 3.30 start this weekend, Bryn. 100%
2: 100% with the All Blacks win, mate.
3: <laughs> oh, <laughs> look, look that'll be to changed that. by Friday. To
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the tab, head your bets. Yeah. God <laughs> oh. oh, bless uh, Excellent. Well, I look forward to the WhatsApp group um, after whatever happens this weekend. Too, yeah. So. Chippa, <laughs> um, thanks cheers. again thank you. and thank you to all for keeping in touch with us whether you're watching us on YouTube, on Sky keeping in touch with us on Rugby Pass thanks very much for engaging with us in the YouTube comment section again this week it was a fun read please if you've got any questions come to us with them we'll try our best to answer we really want to engage with you through this World Cup also go to our email aotearoarugbypod at sky.co.nz and we'll do our best to answer those as well so thank you very much for joining us Enjoy the World Cup. We're fizzing. Mātewa.